Today's episode is brought to you by Flying Fibers. Flying Fibers is a mother-daughter operated wool company based in central Pennsylvania. They focus on premium, breed-specific British and American fibers and yarns. You'll find yarns from their farm of rare breed sheep, as well as from sustainable wool companies like Brooklyn Tweed and West Yorkshire Spinners. Check them out at flyingfibers.com. Thank you so much, Flying Fibers. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 200 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about embroidery and design with my guest, Karen Barbet. Karen is a designer, embroiderer, and author from Santiago, Chile now living in Chicago. Since 2007, she's been inspiring and teaching thousands of makers through her blog and Instagram account, with in-person and online classes, and with her book, Color Confident Stitching. Noticing how her students felt frustrated about their color choices, Karen set out to teach about color in an accessible way. Her book, published in four languages, and her Domestica online class, present a simple and hands-on method that helps makers understand color and create palettes for their own textile projects. She's now exploring embroidery on paper, creating digital patterns and collaborating with diverse Latin American craft people through the Chilean platform Artisanos Unferia. Karen Barbe, welcome. Hi, Abby. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to talk with you. Your work is just so beautiful. I have followed your blog for years and just I'm always so delighted when the images pop up and I get to see what you're working on. Um, you're just a fantastic artist and designer, so I'm very excited to talk with you more about your business. And I'd love for you to start out by talking a little bit about growing up. Did you grow up in Chile and were your parents creative people? Uh, yes, yes. First of all, thank you, Avi, because I've been listening to your podcast like for years. So thank you. I'm very honored to be here today. Wonderful. <laughs> and yeah, I was born in Santiago, Chile, and I have lived all my life there until 2019 when I moved to Chicago to live with my husband. Um, my parents, my mom, She's the, the creative one. And I think my, my story is similar to anyone who loves crafts or is involved with the craft industry. My mom was always and is still um, doing, making things with, with her hands. She loves uh, doing sewing, embroidering, knitting, doing crochet, painting. So all my memories at home were always surrounded by colors, materials, techniques, all these craft magazines she was always buying. And I always remember going out with her to fabric stores uh, uh, to buy fabrics, yarns, notions, like everything. So 
that that was my my childhood and that uh, form for me. And my dad, he's uh, an economist. He's now retired. And while he's not that creative, he has a strong love for bold colors and 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 like the the energy of colors. And I have inherited from him um, a strong work ethics. And I'm the eldest of three children, and they all we all like to do things with with our hands in one way or or another. Nice. And so, um, did you see yourself as an artist, or what did you go to school to study after high school? Yeah, you know, um, in these magazines my, my mom bought, I remember seeing a um, correspondence course that it was about, I think it was commercial art, so, something like that. And I thought, wow, this could be like, like a great thing to do. I felt that that was like my calling, that that was like the, the career I needed to, to pursue. Um, but I was a good student, a very good student in school, so my parents talked me into studying architecture instead. So I, I did that. I went to architecture school for one year and it was a failure, like a, like a real failure. Uh, we had to make these mock-ups uh, with cardboard, MDF, wood, concrete, and you have to explain these concepts like outside, inside, up, down. And, and it just, I like, couldn't do it. So I, I changed schools and I went into design and to design school. And once I, I, I was there, I felt that everything clicked, you know, because I was involved with shapes, colors, materials, like really doing things with my hands. And, and yeah, I felt that was like the thing I needed to do because all this, uh, childhood games, you know, with, with the materials, like playing to make things, uh, they all came together when I studied design. Mm, yeah, it sounds like that. It sounds like uh, it might have been a little hard to regroup after the architecture misstep. But um, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I tell it like very lightly, but in the moment, uh, it, it felt awful. Yeah, because it sounds like you are also a really good student. And so, you know, not being able to do something well is really frustrating when you're a good when you're when you're good at school, you know, so yeah, totally. Okay, so Uh, the other thing is that that, uh, architecture is a traditional uh, career and probably happens something similar here that, you know, as parents, you try that your children study something that will secure their future so that was their sure uh, that they're worried yeah yeah totally it's like a way to be an artist that's um potentially going to always lead you to have a job and something mm-hmm. you know something um that you can you know count on to be reliable and uh just being a designer it's a little bit more iffy maybe but um did you go into commercial design like were you a graphic designer or did you go into doing something sort of more commercial like that after college um in in Santiago you study like um what is like the equivalent I think it's a a BFA okay that is what you you do there 
And I went to design school, and this is a school that doesn't um, make um, like an a specialization. You uh, graduate as a designer with no specialization. Okay. But I did uh, take classes on textile design and graphic design. Understanding that uh, the, um, the job market in Chile is not that good for textile design, so I knew I had to learn some some graphic skills. Okay. So that was like my formation. Okay. And so, um, so what were you, what was your first job out of school? Yeah, it was in Puma, Puma the sports brand. Sure. It was a, a franchise in Santiago. And I, I was a junior product manager. I was in charge of um, um, making, making sure that our collection was produced in Asia and it, that came in time for the seasons to, to Santiago. So most of my work happened in an Excel spreadsheet. Oh. I, it was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. But I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot of how do you work over uh, with uh, production overseas. Like, it was very, um, it was difficult for, for a creative person. But in hindsight, I recognize how much I learned from it. So um, after a while, yeah, I decided, no. I want to design. This is like too many numbers, like too many uh, deadlines. You know, it was like keeping keeping track of the budget. It was no, it wasn't my thing. So then I I changed to my next job, and that was in the marketing department of uh, Conchaitoro Winery. This is like one of the largest winery in in Chile, and there I work as an in-house product designer. And that meant I created lots of POP materials and, and advertising for different markets like Finland, Sweden, um, Japan. And that was, yeah, that was very creative. That was lots of um, like real design work. It was, it was also a good school, but after a while I was like, you know, I didn't study design to be behind a computer and to like working with this graphics, like trying to sell things all the time. I wasn't like very like connected. So, so I quit. Wow. And that was my, and that was my last job. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it with, with the corporate job. And I quit and I decided to um, uh, uh, continue as a freelance designer I kept Contraitoro as one of my clients and I added some, some other ones. And at that time, and that was 2007, I traveled uh, through Europe and I got to see lots of uh, designers doing their own collections and very um, handcrafted products. Mm. And when I saw that in 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 France, in Sweden, I was like, yeah, you know, this is, this looks like what I really want to do. You know, I was like trying to, uh, to bring together all these, um, childhood experiences, like my, my decision to pursue design. And when I saw all of that, I, I thought, yeah, you know, this is like the reason I, uh, I did everything. 
So was was um, one of the designers like Lotte Janzader and people like example, that? Okay, exactly. For example, yes, yes. I was very, very influenced by uh, Swedish design, and when I saw that, I, I was, yeah, this is what I, what I want to do. And at the same time, I started a blog because <laughs> you may remember that was the time of blogs. Oh yeah, I was reading like um, Design Sponge, mm-hmm. The Great, and like all, all, all of those. So I started my my own. And the reason for starting my blog was uh, a way of reconnect, reconnecting with um, with the crafting, because while I was working in Puma and in Contitoro, I wasn't like doing anything with my hands. That was like totally like out of my life. So having a blog gave me a reason to reconnect, to experiment again with techniques, materials like to embroider, to uh, knitting, macrame, like all of things. Like put put my my hands in work again, and I did that. And I also wanted to connect with the people I was seeing in the in the blogs. So I I had to have like this space. Right. This because this and, was before. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to remember, but two thousand eight nine. You know, this is before Instagram, before social media, and a blog is really like your your home place on the internet and a place where people can come and, and talk to you and, and you can talk to them and have that conversation. And it also kind of gives you that deadline, like, oh, I need to make something so that I have something to share this week, you know? Exactly, exactly. It, it was like um, impossible that, that you didn't have a, a blog of yourself. It's like, just as you say, like a house, like somewhere to receive people. So, uh, so I, I started the blog and at the same time, while I was working as a freelance, I started my own textile collection and I, I created, um, prints, wovens and embroidered pieces. Everything was accessories for the home. I had duvet covers, cushion covers kitchen aprons, tea towels, totes, pot holders, like everything in, in that line. And um, and that was, I think, 2008. And I kept doing that for, for a few years. And were you sewing each item yourself, make, making the apron, or did you buy aprons and then embellish them? No, I was doing everything by myself. Okay. With my mother, yeah, with my mother. And it was... Yeah, it was hard because um, in Chile at that time, and and things haven't changed that much, uh, it's hard to get supplies. So I was in Chile and I was buying fabric from the U.S. I I brought it to Chile. I printed there. I cut the pieces, uh, put together the aprons, the tea towels, and I sold them on my online shop to customers who were mainly in the US and Australia. So after a few years, I realized, no, I'm not doing like this business, like in a, in a correct way. Um, this is like too, too much work. I'm not getting like the supplies with the quality I want to have. So it was like getting harder and, and harder. And I think so after a few years, I, I kept with, with, with my blog. I got uh, lots of mentions in magazines at, at that time. 
And uh, um, I got an, an email or a message or a comment on my blog, I don't remember. And it was someone who told me, whenever you decide to teach what you're doing here in your blog, I, I will be like so eager to, to learn with, from you. Hmm. So at that time I realized, wow, so there's people who, be, who are like willing to learn from me. That's so, no. so interesting. And it's so important to put your stuff out there because that's how you heard that there was demand is like listening, mm -hmm. listening to what people are saying. Exactly. You know, if, if I if I never got that, that email, I would, I would have never like start teaching, you know, wow. it would never like occur to me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's super important like to put put yourself out there. Right. And uh, so I was like, okay, let's try. Let's try classes. And I decided to teach embroidery, hand embroidery. I thought it was like easier to teach. Like you, you don't need like such right. uh, much it's, equipment. It's so simple. Yeah. It, exactly. Exactly. And it's very graphic and very rewarding because yeah, you can make like a few stitches and you have like something to show. It's not like weaving that it can take, I don't know, like <laughs> too many hours. After right. You something. right, right. So I felt like, yeah, embroidery is like the, the thing. And, and I started doing uh, in-person classes in Santiago and it was like a, like a huge success. Like everyone wanted to come. It was like incredible, incredible. Wow. And yeah, so that, that, that was like the moment I started like to pivoting from, from selling things, like actual goods into teaching. That, that, that was like the, the time, 2012. That was the time. And when you when you pivot into teaching, um, you learn so much as well. Because again, now instead of having that one person, you know, commenting on the blog, now you've got a whole room full of people over and over again who are interacting with the materials, listening to you talk about your style, how to select colors, how to do the stitches, all of those things. And so, my guess is that just from the experience of teaching that helped to shape your direction as well. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's so different to have people, and and you understand that people also learn for different reasons and in different ways. There are people, for example, that come to to your classes and they just want to relax, for instance. So for them, you have like to create like this situation that is like very social, very uh, relaxing and fun. But there are some others who really want to learn like in a very serious way. They are like very um, uh, committed to the technique. So they really want like to squeeze you and like, like give me all your, all your knowledge. So you, you have like all, all the, the people in between. And sometimes it, it's hard, you know, to understand what, what uh, people want. Uh, but you get to learn a lot, a lot, a lot. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Flying Fibers. Flying Fibers is brought to you by the mother-daughter team of Jerry Robinson Lawrence and Arena Lawrence Matthias. They honor and celebrate diversity and inclusion while welcoming everyone to their little corner of the world. Both women are passionate about providing beautiful products to crafters of any skill, as well as promoting the preservation of rare breed sheep. 
In addition to owning a yarn shop, Jerry and Arena have a flock of rare breed Wensleydale sheep, endangered Leicester longwool sheep, and rare breed Shetland sheep that they raise on their farm in York County, Pennsylvania. Based on the season, this local fiber is available in store and online. These two women are extremely passionate about the fiber arts and are regularly willing to share their knowledge and expertise with whoever desires. Jerry is primarily behind the scenes with Arena being present in the yarn shop. Although young in appearance, Arena has extensive knowledge of the fiber arts, having begun her journey at the age of six and can tackle your most challenging of wool needs. These two women make an exceptional team and are sure to have you smiling at their mother-daughter banter every time you chat with them. Check them out at flyingfibers.com. Thank you so much, Flying Fibers. And now back to my conversation with Karen. Okay, so you started teaching classes locally. You're still living in Chile. Um, and it, it sounds like the classes were a huge success. So they're fully enrolled. You've got lots of people coming. Um, and they're all embroidery classes. So what happened next? Did you start teaching elsewhere? Like, was there a demand to travel and, and come to the U.S.? Or, or uh, what was the next step? Uh, there were two main steps. One is that I also started doing classes in university in my in my alma mater, but those were uh, design classes. I wasn't allowed like to teach embroidery. I had like to teach about like uh, the fundamentals of design. So that was like one another thing that opened and that uh, put me far away from this uh, initial project of selling things of my own collection. I was like moving into teaching. And while I kept doing the embroidery classes, I realized that my students had problems with uh, choosing colors. You know, I, I was like very... Um, uh, focused on teaching the techniques and people were getting like very neat stitches but in a way they they didn't feel that satisfied when they were with the results and I realized that one of the problems was color because people were choosing like whatever color they had at, at hand and they were they weren't thinking about like a color palette something that felt more harmonious so I set out to uh, teach color and that was also a huge success because I realized that the understanding of color is not only something that you need with um, with embroidering but also with uh, knitting sewing right uh, people doing like any kind of craft so I got like many students like that that were interesting in like understanding color like hey how, how do I get like nice combina- combinations Right. And so you ended up writing this book, which came out in 2017 called Color Confidence Stitching, which everyone should go check out. It, by the way, has so many five star reviews on Amazon. It's really kind of like amazing. People love this book and um, it really is like a, a reference book, which I think to me is like really the best kind of craft book is a book that's like a, a reference book. And it sounds like you were talking with like an editor and then you kind of arrived together that this would be the right topic for for a book. Exactly, exactly. I was um, 
as I said in on my blog, I put everything I was doing in my classes and in my personal experimentations. So um, I was also uh, posting about this uh, color classes I was I was doing. So one day, I think it was like 2015, probably like early 2015, I got an email from Anna Sanderson. She's an editor at Pimpernel Press in London. And she wrote to me and she said, hi, have you thought of writing a book? Uh, would you like to do one? And I was like, yeah, sure. I would love to, to write a book. And we got together on, on Skype and uh, decided on what would be like the best topic to propose a book. We thought about color, we thought about creative mending, about embroidery. But the one that, that uh, stuck was um, colors because Anna, she, she being a, a, a teacher herself, she knew like how needed it is to understand colors. Mm. So we built a, a book proposal and she presented it in the London Book Fair in 2015. And there they were looking for a co-publisher um, co and they, and there they, the German, um, I, what was the name, Haupt, this is a German publishing company, got interested. So both of this, these two companies printed my book. That's the reason why it was published in English and in German at the same time. Okay, great. And so, um, well, a few things that strike me. One is that, again, with putting your work out there, um, you know, you got this email from a publisher and what it sounds like was she was really interested in you as a maker, a designer, a creator, an artist, and was willing to work with you on finding the right topic which is, I think, really encouraging because sometimes we feel like, well, we have to have a fully formed book idea in order to write a book, you know, and it's got to be something that we already know exactly what it's going to look like. And in this case, that's, that wasn't what it was. It's not that you didn't have ideas, you had many, but, um, but she really wanted to work with you in some capacity. And I think mm -hmm. that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I'm really grateful for, uh, for her for being so open and I'm always grateful for my blog. You know, I, I know it, I, I'm, I'm like dating myself, like talking about my blog, my blog, but it was so meaningful to build this platform that allowed me to show who I am, you know, and, and, and show everyone, you know, I can do this and this and this other. Right. So it's, it was very important. Yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like there's so much to be said for doing something like it's your job. And then it becomes your job, you know, so like you did your mm -hmm. blog as though it was something that you were working on as a job. And sure enough, you got a job from doing that. So uh, for writing this book, so and, and other, you know, opportunities as well. So I think there's so much to be said for that. And, and what did you learn in the process of writing a book? Because I also think sometimes you feel like, well, is it really worth it to go through? I mean, it's a lot of work and many, many months um, of making and writing and revisions and just so much that goes into creating a book, especially one as beautiful and, and well-received as this one. And so I'm wondering, you know, what do you feel like you, you really gained or learned from that experience? Um, well, the first thing is that uh, from, from an economic point of view, 
I think everyone who has written a book for, for the craft industry should know that it never like pays in the, in that way. But it, it pays like in so many other ways. It was lots of hard work, like long days, long hours. But I was lucky that I had so many pictures that I ho- already posted on my blog. I had lots of materials for the for for the uh, color class. So in a way, I had like I'd say like half of the book like already like there when, when I started writing it. And but I I would say that that the most like rewarding part comes after that after publishing when it starts uh, getting into people's hands and when people like write to me and they say, you know, this is like the first time I truly understand color. And, 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 and these are people like were like graduated from art school and they were like, you know, I never understood color until I like read it from you from these very like simple explanations. Mm. And, and I've also encountered people, you know, that they told me, I just borrowed your book from the library, the public library in New Zealand, in San Francisco, in like mm-hmm. so many places. Yeah. And so thinking of that, that my book has like arrived to so many corners in the world and like presented colors in a, in a very like accessible way, that like makes me feel like so um, happy. Like uh, it, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and a great um, advertisement for why one should write a book, even though, as you said, economically, it likely doesn't make a ton of, of sort of direct practical sense. Um, but there are a lot of other rewards if, if it's possible for people to financially swing it, um, you know, that, mm-hmm. that comes for sure. And so I know you did eventually move out of Chile, move to the United States. And I'm wondering, um, it sounds like you, you came here with your husband. Where did you meet him and and what um sort of prompted that move i well he was already living in chicago when i met him i he was born in new in new jersey to chilean parents and he was in santiago for the holidays and the the real story is that i was invited to a wedding in santiago and i asked a common friend you know, I I need a date to go to this wedding because in I don't know here, but in Santiago you always uh, go with a date when you are invited oh, to a wedding. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like you, you you don't go by yourself. So I need someone, and this friend goes and she tells me, you know, I have a friend who is also a designer who is like your age, and I know you will be like 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 an incredible couple. And it was like, hey, yeah, introduce us, please. And then she goes and she says, yeah, but he lives in Chicago. And I was like, yeah, what? but I, I need someone like like here in, in Santiago. And uh, a, a week weeks later, it was the holidays and he was in Santiago. She introduced us. And yeah, and we we really like like each other, like immediately. And we kept in touch. He went to Santiago to the wedding and and then we've been like uh, we've been together from since there. It's hard. It's hard to keep a long distance relationship. It was hard also to get the visa to the U.S. for me. 
And yeah, I'm finally I'm, I'm here. Wow. So when did you end up moving to Chicago? In 2019. In, okay. Yeah, it was October 2019. How did that change things for you as an artist or in your art practice to be in the United States versus being in Santiago? I'm just wondering, like, is the is there a change in um, the, the arts community locally, but as well as like availability and cost of materials or anything else that sort of, I don't know, impacted the way that you work mm-hmm. after moving? You know, um, I think it, it hasn't like um, changed me too much because when I came here, like the pandemic like struck like, like oh, right. a few months. So, <laughs> So my experience of, of being here in, in Chicago in the U.S., like, you know, hasn't been like 100 percent, I feel. And but um, interestingly enough, like being here, I've been more in touch with uh, Latin America, with Santiago, uh, because uh, suddenly like Zoom make uh, made like distances uh, shorter. So. Right. It was easier for me, yeah, to reconnect with, with Chile, like being from here. But um, but being in, in the U.S., I've been able to um, know how things work here, and I'm I have to say I'm delighted to find such efficient processes, like for everything, you know, everything. I'm like I'm still like in in awe, like how everything works. Um, yeah, so I think that that's what I can say, like, for now, I'm like waiting, like for everything, like to open up. And so I I can still like, um, um, like make the most of being here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the timing there. But I hear you about Zoom being able to reconnect you. And so, um, so you did do some online teaching. And I find that to be really interesting, because you worked with um, a company called Domestica and their platform, my understanding of it at least, is that it's Spanish language classes and there are classes in a variety of different things, but they do have quite a few craft classes. And I watched the, um, the, I guess the trailer video for your class and I don't speak Spanish, but I did see some comments from people saying, you know, I enjoy taking classes on Domestica because I can practice my Spanish and also learn a new craft at the same time. But I, I do wonder, how how did that class come about and, and what was it like to teach online, which is a little different from those in-person classes? Yeah, yeah, very different. Um, uh, I think it was late or mid-2018 and I got an email from someone at Domestica. They had seen my my book and they were interested in, in making that book into a class. So we discussed like like the framework, like how to uh, how to do the class. They flew me to Buenos Aires, where they had the the filming studio, and and we had three or four days of filming. I have to say that it was like one of my most like nervous uh, <laughs> moments because. It's so different, you know, to teach someone and you get like a sort of feedback, you know, right. that, that, that person. Yeah, you know, we, we, they will tell you I'm bored. Yeah, I, I, am, I am understanding or no, you know, that there's like a, a return. But when you explain your, your things in front of a camera, 
and and there's like no feedback it's like oh this is so hard this is so hard you know like the very first shot they asked me to uh to show the materials needed in the in the course and i remember my hands were like shaking badly like badly and i was like oh no please can can we can we do again this this shot and they were no relax It, it won't show it won't show I don't know if it if it if it show after all, but I, I didn't want to see the the results. But yeah, you you like uh, grow like used to it. Um, uh, but but it's hard. I, yeah. I know you, you have experience also. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. It is really hard, and and if you don't have a lot of on camera experience, which I certainly didn't, um, it is um, nerve wracking. Uh, as well. And so um, having that class out there, first of all, it sounds like it, it directly came as a result of having the book, which again is is another reward of having the mm-hmm. book. Um, so that's really cool to hear. But um, once you got the class out there, um, how did that sort of propel things forward for you? Um, I have to thank the Mexica that at, at the time I did the class, they were expanding like a lot. They were like uh, going beyond Spain and and Spanish speaking markets, and they started to add subtitles in. Let me think. Uh, like uh, I would say, like every every language. I think they have subtitles in English, Portuguese, Italian, French, uh, so many. So that has brought like so many people from different parts of the world. And they are um, and they are connecting with me through the platform or through Instagram, for example. And they all come to me and they say thank you for um, explaining this. Thank you for being like so nice. It's so good to see your face. M- many people like point uh, um, that I, I'm smiling like the whole time in the in the class. So that feels like to them like very welcoming like okay this is like this color color theory is not hard it's like a, a very like easy thing to do and people are always like saying like thank you this has this has helped me with my projects or with my business um, craft businesses that they are running nice and now you're working with another um platform a chilean platform that i actually hadn't heard about before so Tell us about what their platform is doing. Yes, this is Artesanos en Feria. This is a very new, small platform, and they aim to uh, promote the work of Chilean and Latin American crafters and artists working in the craft industry, uh, especially now that many of the uh, traditional uh, outlets for uh, showing your work have closed. Um, Before the pandemic in Chile, we had, um, what's the name, like a social outburst. So um, it was, it has been like very difficult in Chile to do like business as usual. So they started to create this platform with, with, uh, with that objective, like to help crafters. And my involvement there is um, is being a mentor, and that means like being like um, offering advice, like uh, support to people who want to put their work out there. So I try to teach everything I've learned 
from my blog and from right now from Instagram. Right. That's really great. I'm going to go check it out and I'll definitely link it in the show notes so people can check it out as well. And I'd love to talk about Instagram. You are great on Instagram. I think one of the reasons, I mean, there's many reasons, but one of them I feel like is because you take really, really beautiful photos of your work and your in-process shots as well. Um, And I wondered if you could talk a little bit first about how you learned how to be a photographer, because it doesn't sound like you had um, training necessarily in photography in school. No, I'm a self-taught photographer, and until this day, there are many things I know I can't resolve from a photography point of view, but I always try like to make it work. And again, I have to I have to thank like the early days from my from my blog. Because uh, when I was starting, I was um, I had these textile experimentations or these objects, and I knew that when I took pictures, the result of the picture wasn't always like like very true to what I was seeing. So I realized, okay, this is so important to understand photography, to understand yeah. styling, like light, because if I don't understand every picture I take, it won't like make justice to, to the piece I'm, I'm trying to show. So that's, I will, I'd say it's been uh, years of understanding like how to best convey the traits, the texture, the colors of what I'm like trying to do. Yeah. So, so all that, that, that I learned from my blog is what I'm applying right now on, on Instagram and yeah, uh, that's it. And do you take pictures for your Instagram with a DSLR camera and edit them? Or do you take pictures for Instagram on your phone? No, always with a DSLR. Okay. That and makes a tripod. And, and a tripod. Okay. That makes a big difference, I think. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about how you approach Instagram, sort of when you're thinking about creating a post um, what your sort of steps are to doing that and, and which posts are most successful. I'm wondering if you have some analysis on why, you know, certain posts are so successful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my strategy, which is not like a strategy, but I aim to post like once a week, but I never like get to do it. I finally post when I have like something like really beautiful, meaningful to to post. I I start working on post like with uh, weeks in advance, and I try to create a story or start thinking about okay, this is like the best way to show this um, this project, and um, I I use natural light. So that means I'm always like checking, okay, when will be, for example, a sunny day? And I say, okay, this day I will take the, um, the pictures and I try to take several pictures like um, because I, I know not all pictures like turn out well. So I um, reserve like one afternoon with, uh, with a sunny day to take pictures, then I edit them and... In the meantime, I'm trying to write some kind of story and, and finally post it. Um, what makes like a good picture? 
I would say that in embroidery, those images that have like nice colors and nice texture, like like people like really wanting to touch the uh, the, the screen, mm-hmm. that would be like a very like a successful um, uh, post. But then you have also like uh, the Instagram algorithm that uh, there are certain kind of posts that are like more like uh, index higher, like like a reel. So it's possible that what I post, it's a real video. It would be like, uh, it would have like um, more more engagement. Right. So a, vi- a real being like a short a short video, a short video that's in yeah. the main feed, and um, and Instagram, at least in the way the algorithm is working right now, really seems to favor reels and um, basically show them to more of your followers. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's very tricky. I uh, because I, sometimes I realize like where's like the hand of Instagram like doing you know like okay this is like working good or not because of Instagram. But I try to be like very like um, aware of that and try not to be like that like influenced because it's very easy, you know, like to start doing things just to um, sure. like, like, like to make uh, Instagram happy, you know, it's that is very hard. So I try to keep like very true to what what is my style, what I what I want, where I want my my embroidery to go. Right. And can you talk a little bit about the kind of embroidery work that you're doing now? I know you, um, I know you spent some time studying at the, at the Royal School of Needlework, which is a whole other, <laughs> um, really incredible, uh, experience. And, and I wondered, um, sort of what you learned there and what, what kind of embroidery you're really focused on now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was in 2015 when I went to the Royal School of Needlework. I thought I needed like more training, more technical training, which I did. Uh, this was a certificate that lasted for two months, and it was it was worth it in some in some ways, not so much in others, um, because it's very traditional. I had expected like like a, I don't know like a new way of seeing embroidery, which which of course wasn't. And what I'm doing now is working with paper embroidery. I'm always attracted to um, to new things in embroidery. I'm, I always ask myself, like, what else can, can we do with embroidery? So that has uh, led me to uh, poke holes on every paper I get or, or cardstock and start embroidering through these papers. And, and I felt that it's so re- rewarding because the process of um, punching the paper of the, of the, or the cardstock is so, um, how to say, it's very sensorial. You know, it's like the, the noise, the feeling in your hand with the all, like how you're doing the, the, um, the hole. And, and then stitching through these holes, is, it, it also has like a very... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting like the word here, but it's a very, um, rewarding feeling, like a bodily feeling. And I'm enjoying that. And I'm teaching a lot of that as well. And I have uh, done some commissions also with, uh, with paper embroidery. 
So right now, I'm, my future looks like I'll be stitching a lot. That's great. Paper. Yeah, that's great. And such an interesting sort of transition into, you know, working with paper and thread, which is a somewhat unusual combination. Um, and so I think that maybe is another reason why people are attracted to it, because it, it doesn't look like anything you're you're seeing in your feed or, you know, on other blogs. It's, it's unique, uh, a unique combination of materials. At least for me, I'm always like, oh, gosh, I never would have thought of that. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has kind of a wow factor, I think. Um, which is really appealing to people. And um, I want to make sure that we get to your recommendations because you have so many good ones. <laughs> so um, yeah, the first one is actually nobody's recommended this in all 200 episodes. Um, but I love the Jasmine Star show. Um, Jasmine Star, um, I listen or watch her, her YouTube. Um, and I didn't actually even know that she had a podcast. But, um, but I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what you like about her. Yeah, I yeah, I have followed her like for for years and she's a photographer and business strategist. She's a first generation Latina and she has a very like strong personality, like a, a very unique way of being. And when I have to say that most of what I've learned about social media, it has been like from her. She's always um like um, telling about Instagram and like the latest updates. But what I also appreciate uh, about her is the mindset. You know, she's like, we have, you have to work hard. Like this is like the way to, to get something. So I, I really like her like pep talks about uh, working hard, like doing the thing. Yeah, I do too. And um, I've learned a lot about social media just from her YouTube, you know, like when different um, new functionality, for example, launches in, you know, in Instagram, you know, like when Reels first came out, for example, I remember watching her and he, she was like, here, we're going to, we're going to make a Reel in 10 steps. And she just shows you like, we're going to film this, we're going to put out my cart, we're going to have like, it was, oh, the one I watched was about how to create a podcast. So she made a Reel about how to create a podcast. And she just shows you like all the steps, like show the microphone, show like all the different <laughs> steps. And it just makes it seem very like approachable, like you can sit down and do this. Obviously, she's got like a camera crew and makeup and lighting and all the rest. So it looks really professional. But I like that, you know, in, in like a three minute segment, she'll just break down how to do something and it just seems more approachable. Yeah, she's incredible. I, I love her. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so we will link to the Jasmine Star podcast for people. Um, and then you also um, wanted to recommend, and I have not listened to this, Radio Ambulante. So tell us a little bit about this podcast on um, NPR. Yeah, yeah. Radio Ambulante is a, is a podcast from the NPR network. It's in Spanish, and it's about stories from all of Latin America. I'm recommending it because they have um, an app which is called Lupa, as in magnifying glass, and it's um, uh, it helps people who don't know Spanish but have some knowledge. They it helps people to understand each episode because it offers transcripts and a vocabulary, and so it's like easier like to grasp the the stories. And as a Latin America, I love to hear the different accents and realize like how 
different and how similar we all can be. And the stories can be so humane, so intense, that they are incredible, incredible. So I would really like like everyone to listen to them. And so they're just like life stories from regular people. Is that right? Exactly. Some regular people, but there are some, I don't know, incredible stories. Like so sometimes I was like, oh no, I will have to cry now because you know, <laughs> yeah. stories that yeah, are they're regular people, but they're not like regular stories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, it sounds like with the Lupa app, that would be a great way to practice Spanish and be able to have a transcript and as you said, some vocabulary. I'll take a look at that. My uh, my middle child is taking Spanish in high school. So that would be such a good, you know, supplement as you get into more advanced Spanish to be able to understand and, um, you know, just listen to native speakers with different accents and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And then the last recommendation is called Letter Now with Martina Flor. So tell us, this isn't, you must listen to a lot of podcasts while you're working. A lot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm always listening to something while I'm working on the computer or embroidering. I have to be listening. And yeah, this is quite new. Uh, It's called Letter Noun and it's by Martina Flor. She's a lettering artist originally from Argentina and she's now living in Berlin for quite some time. Um, But what is interesting is that they receive questions from the audience and she answers them she and and her guests and the focus is not on lettering itself but about being a freelance or being an artist and trying to get your work out there trying to understand how to best use social media or other other tools and to make like a decent living uh, working as an artist so I find it like very helpful Wow. And I, I, yeah, I need to subscribe. I, I can't think that I subscribe to any podcast by lettering artists. So that sounds great. And, and like lots of business, small business advice. Yeah. Lots of them. Well, that's awesome. I'm going to totally go subscribe to that podcast after this recording. And, um, and Karen, um, tell people a little bit where they can um, find your work and follow you on Instagram before we, um, before we say goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you can find me on on Instagram at Karen Barbe, and uh, you can also see my website at karenbarbe.com. And Karen, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. It was great talking to you. Thanks, Avi. I enjoyed this. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Flying Fibers. Flying Fibers works toward the preservation through education of rare breed sheep. This includes the Wensleydale, Lester, and Longwool and Shetland sheep on their farm. Find them through various social media channels like Instagram and TikTok, as well as in person at fiber festivals talking about the rare breed sheep they raise and how you can help to preserve them. Thank you so much, Flying Fibers. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. 
Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.